Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and special guest. Megan. Hey, everybody. Hi. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 47, Daniel LaPlante. Megan actually recommended this story to me for this creepy month, and I was all for it. And your beloved co-host that you're used to hearing from is very hungover and probably at a bar again right now. <laughs> But we are visiting our friends in Escondido, and so Megan was gracious enough to be my co-host today as we talk about this humongous pile of garbage. I'm happy to be here, Amy. I uh, kind of recently learned about Daniel LaPlante when I was up late the other evening watching an episode of Your Worst Nightmare. Was it your worst nightmare? It was your... It was my... <laughs> you know... I didn't, after I finished watching it, I didn't really feel, like, scared, but I can say I didn't sleep well that night. Really? Yeah, honestly, I was, I was in bed, it was late at night, I couldn't sleep, I like watching true crime episodes for some reason at that point in time, and um, after it finished, I couldn't help but see some shadows in the doorways pretty much every time I opened my eyes. Oh, wow. It was okay. a particularly creaky house night that night. Um, it was windy outside, so there was a lot of noise, and I just, you know, Daniel LaPlante did not make anything any easier, and he's a pretty terrifying Yeah, figure. very, very terrifying individual. So to start things off, I was wondering if you'd ever conducted any kind of seance or tried to talk to the dead before. I know that Kevin, we might add in some audio clip later. He has a lot to say about ghosts and seances and talking to the dead because he's actually highly practiced in the craft. (laughs) But I am not at all. I have a little bit of something. But what about you, Megan? How are you with seances and talking to the dead? You ever done it? I've never conducted a seance. I've never <gasps> participated. And you call yourself an alternative girl? Okay, so I've, I've, <laughs> here's the deal. I've never participated in a seance. I didn't really, I mean, I guess like maybe like in this story, somebody is close to you. You're trying to communicate mm-hmm. with them or something like that. So, of course, as like a teenage girl, we what we did with parents who were super weirded out by Ouija boards was mm-hmm. we would draw them. So we would like take a notebook and just like draw out, just like copy basically a Ouija board, draw out all the letters, draw out all the images. Hello, goodbye. And yes, no. We, as a planchette, we used a quarter. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so basically anything works as a planchette. So that's what we did. And it did work. I mean, you know, I mean, you have experience with a Ouija board, how it works. Yeah. So the quarter moved. Yeah. 
You didn't feel like any of your friends were pushing it, it around? It honestly felt like a pretty strong pull to me. <laughs> wow. Like, in, you know, you'd be How many sitting, people were you doing the seance with? Um, I would say anywhere from two to four people okay. would have their fingers involved. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, like, when you have two people and you're just, like, sitting left to right from each other and, like, you both have your fingers on it and it pulls away from both of you, it kind of, you know, you have to kind yeah. of feel like this is super weird. I don't think either of us did that. It's mm-hmm. sort of like in the opposite direction that you're that's natural for you to push or pull. So I don't know. Yeah. Verdict is out for me on how Do I Do you about mind it. me asking who you may have been talking to or who you were trying to contact? Um we really like we were just like, is there anybody there? Oh, like we okay. weren't really like trying to contact anybody. Anybody specific. I don't really I feel like at that point in time we hadn't really like known anybody close to us who had passed away, thankfully. You just want to freak each other out. We were just like, oh, you know, like let's do something spooky. So yeah. got up to Ouija board stuff. Uh for me, I have lots of experience with the Ouija board. So for me, seances were the gothy alternative pastime for girls. And my like one of my best friends growing up was a really rich goth girl. And so her parents bought her anything that she wanted because her dad was like a corporate lawyer who was gone all the time. And so she he would just buy her whatever she wanted. And she was the girl who like had all these typo negative and Marilyn Manson tapes. And then when CDs started to become available, she demanded that her father replace all the tapes with CDs. Mm. And so I got all of her old tapes. So thanks to her, I got into some pretty terrible music pretty early on. Um, but she sucks today, so it's fine. I stopped talking <laughs> to her like 16 years ago. She, she can fuck off. I hope she doesn't listen to this She episode. doesn't. She's no longer goth <laughs> anymore. She does, fuck you, poser. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's funny. There's like pictures of me like at her like 13th birthday party where everybody, she like made everybody wear all black and put black makeup on and like do all these like witchy poses and stuff and I was like the one person I was like I don't want to put that shit on my face like that looks stupid like I don't want to be goth like she just needed those photos for posterity yeah I wish I had brought it because it's so funny like everybody is like giving like the camera like this dirty look and I'm like smiling and like not wearing black makeup you know she intuitively knew that at like 35 she'd be able to brag about that birthday party and show off the photos everybody would be super impressed oh my gosh I actually she's super the opposite now so I man if I I, I wish I could tag her in it almost, but, you know, I don't hold any huge, you know, whatever against her. She just kind of sucks. She just decided to be like, just lean into the richness. Like she was actually kind of cool before. And then she was like, oh, wait, I have lots of money. Never mind. I'm not going to be cool anymore. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that at her slumber parties, she was definitely moving the planchette. So, like, I actually would get like mad at her. I'm like, I don't want to say her name, but blah, blah, blah. Like, stop, stop moving the plate. Like, I can, like, I could see your fingers, like, getting white by pushing, you know? Heather. We'll call her Heather. <laughs> we'll call her Heather. Heather. Um, so, yeah, she was definitely moving the planchette, and she, <laughs> she even started a coven, and, like, ev- there could only be four witches. And it was, like, witch- she took it pretty seriously. She was getting It was, like, heavy. north, south, east, and west. I mean, she got her logic from the craft. I was just about to say, she was, she was heavily influenced, obviously, by yeah. the craft. That's, like... Both of those things are just straight out of the that movie. The, the, yeah, fake we witchcraft. All watched and yeah. loved the craft. Yes, as yes. Thirteen-year-old girls. So yeah, so she's definitely moving the planchette. I got her typo negative tapes. 
So, yeah, she was fine. Um, <laughs> she was like a frumpy goth girl, you know. I hope, I, you know what? I, I wish her nothing but the best. Wherever um, you are, Heather. Wherever you are, Heather, we hope you're Peace doing well. We should, we should hold a seance to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> you can't move the planchette from wherever you are now. Yeah, but I, I do remember, though, like at my sixth grade slumber party, she was still my friend at that point. I mean, we were doing this stuff like in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And at my fifth, uh, sixth grade slumber party, we played Girl Talk. Oh, yeah. We played Girl Talk. Classic. We, um, Prank phone called this creepy pervert that, like, a friend of mine had his number. His name was Bubbles. You could call him and he talks dirty to you, which now, like, looking back on it, it's fucking gross. Yeah. And yeah. then we would have a seance. It was like, and then do light as a, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Like Just the normal stuff you got up to as a kid in the 90s. Yeah. And then, like, watch, like, The Cutting Edge, that call movie. Call your local pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> and then contact the dead. You know, it's just only natural. Yeah. So we didn't have the internet, so <laughs> exactly. So that was like a girl talk, pedophile, <laughs> pedophile prank call night, dude. Oh, the stuff that that guy Bubbles said was like I still have nightmares about it. He would ask, oh, can I? I don't know if I want to say this on our show, but he would ask us. If, <laughs> he would ask. I can't say it. He would ask us if we had a juicy pussy. <laughs> Crying right oh, now. No, it's fucking I gross. I, I was gonna ask you where he got his nickname, but now I don't want. I know. To know. I I don't. I don't know. It was this like I became friends with kind of like a bad girl from Merced, and she was like a transfer <laughs> student, and so we were actually calling long distance, and I got in trouble because like oh my, my I was getting like long distance charges to Merced, so it was not even our local pervert. It was her old local pervert. Kids from all around California were calling to talk to Bubbles. <laughs> yes. Pervert. Yes, and he just wanted to ask us dirty questions about our wet vaginas. <laughs> is it really a prank call if the victim is super into? <laughs> yeah. Well, she would make me do this stuff, and I was super uncomfortable with it. I was also kind of uncomfortable with the seance too. But yeah, so you're probably wondering why the fuck we're talking about seances and bubbles. Well, <laughs> bubbles just happened. That was just a weird recovered memory I had right now. Um, because. <laughs> Bubbles a lot. And I swear, it was usually in conjunction with seances. We're like, oh, what should we do tonight? Let's oh, call yeah. Bubbles and have a seance. Right. <laughs> the normal Friday night plans. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually, when I was a kid, the prank call that we made the most was to the guy in the phone book named Jimmy Dean. For some, <laughs> for some reason, my friend thought it was super funny to look up the guy named Jimmy Dean in the phone book and prank call. Ask about his sausages? Just, just to give him shit. He'd be like, hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, where's your, yeah, where's your sausage? Where you got your, Aww. where you got your sausages at, Jimmy Dean? And the, the guy would just hang up usually. Ah, so poor was, Jimmy Dean. I'm sure he was used to it. He was no it. bubbles. He was, n- no, he had, he definitely didn't hold a candle even to bubbles. <laughs> What's so weird is that I still have Bubbles' number in like an old planner from like sixth grade, probably oh, at my parents' call house. Him. I will text you his number later. You could do, he He's could probably be, dead because he, he was fucking old. He could be an interview on your next episode. Yeah. Hey, how does it feel like to be a pedophile? Yeah. yeah we've no thanks. You. Yeah. So, like I was saying, like, why the fuck am I talking about seances? Well, This week, we're actually going to start off by talking about two teenage girls, Annie and Jessica Andrews, who tried to have one in their basement in Pepperell, Massachusetts, 
And Pepperell, Massachusetts is about 50 miles west of Salem, which, uh, Massachusetts, which, you know, kind of has a witchy-esque, well, like, I guess if you think of a witch town, you think Salem, right? Right. right. So there's like kind of like, you know, an extra spookiness to this story as well. It's in Massachusetts, but it takes place in 1986. So in the fall of 1986, the Andrews family was still grieving the loss of their late mother and wife, Deborah Andrews, who died of cancer in April of that year. The father, Brian, was obviously devastated by the loss of his wife, but he had two girls to raise. He was constantly working to try and provide for them. On the other hand, the girls were stricken with grief and desperately wanted to see or talk to their beloved mother again. So what better way to contact the dead than through a seance? Some reports stated that they tried to use a crystal pendulum. And so that's like um, in the episode of Your Wife's Nightmare, that's what they're using. They're using like a crystal pendulum. So if it like swings one way, it's like, yes. If it swings the other way, it's like, no. I've never, I never did that as a kid uh, or as an adult. I didn't really know it was like totally a thing. And then there are other reports that talk about them using a Ouija board. And so just like right off the bat, we should establish that. A lot of this story has been mythologized. Yeah, this is a case that is just shrouded in urban legend. Um, So it's basically apparent that no matter what source we've looked at, every story is... they have Yeah, a tiny bit different. They have differences. They have similarities. A lot of the the story has been because it it, the the girls weren't taken very seriously. Um, No one really believed them. Uh, so I think that's kind of one of the main reasons why yeah. there are so many. There's not official documentation. Yeah, there for are a this lot stuff. of conflicting uh, stories as to what happened because the police didn't take them seriously and their father didn't take them seriously. So a lot of it is hearsay. Yeah, and we normally at the dumpster try to avoid hearsay, but this it's is Halloween. kind of a, it's Halloween, and so we're taking some liberties. And I'm trying to go with the most popular sources that seem to have the most credibility. But I will definitely list the sources that I use in the episode notes, so you guys can check out my sources. They're not great, but they're they're spooky and fun. And so um, a lot of the stuff else does come from that. Is it ID Channel or something that does yeah, the, the Your Worst Nightmare? Investigation yeah, Investigation Discovery Channel. So a lot of this stuff came from Investigation Discovery too. So which is a f- the most credible source probably of all of them. So again, they but um, they definitely took liberties, I'm sure, with the story. Um, they I mean, did they did interview actually some police officers and stuff that were involved though. Right. Yeah. So there is there's definitely a kernel of truth to this story as we continue to tell it. But I just want to throw that out there as a little bit of disclaimer that things have definitely been amplified for kind of or mythologized throughout the years because this happened like almost 40 years ago. Yeah, and I would venture to say that police reports aren't necessarily you know, accurate. 100% yeah. accurate either. They yeah. are also colored by bias. And so police officers that are colored by bias. I don't fucking believe it, Megan. Eh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to just say it. Yeah, just go out on a limb and say that. Go say it. I hope there's nobody listening who's going to come knock on my door to defend the police. Well, we won't tell them where you live. Thank you. Like I said, some reports stated that they used a crystal pendulum. Some say they used a Ouija board. But nonetheless, the thing that all of the sources can agree on is that they were trying to communicate with the spirit of their late mother. They waited and waited for something to happen to no avail. Soon after the seance was over, strange things started to occur in the home. The girls would hear random knocks on the windows and on the walls in the middle of the night. They would hear strange noises all around them on the walls, in the attic, everywhere. 
Lights flickered on and off. The doorbell would ring and no one would be there. Objects moved and or went missing. Can you imagine going through that kind of shit as no. like a 14 year old girl by no. yourself when your dad is at work like every night and your mom just passed away? No, like, I can't. Even if you. I would fucking leave. Even if you think it's your mom, like, first of all, why would your mom like kind of torture you that way? Like, yeah. fuck with you? I think it, you know, they thought it was their mom at first because they were trying to contact their mom and it was just, it's like devastating yeah. what happened to these, these poor girls. Yeah. So, yeah, at first, I I think that it was kind of, like, sweet for them. They're like, oh, it worked, but it's just a delayed response. Like, she's trying to communicate with us. But as you, as as time went on, the knocking became louder. The noises became more menacing and more violent and actually more frequent. And then objects started to be more dramatically moved around. They would, like, literally leave a room and come back, and it would be moved just in that moment that they were gone. And even whole pieces of large furniture would be moved, just even just, like, a little bit just to fuck with them. Like, because I know where my bed is, you know right, what I mean? Right. And if it was moved two inches to the right, I'd be fucking freaked out. I'd yeah. be like, what did you do, Kevin? You know? Yeah. You know? Like, it's like, just, I like, these little things. immediately blame my sister yeah exactly exactly like why are you fucking with me right I mean, yeah we definitely pranked each other as kids and especially if we had like both participated well i mean i have two sisters but if we had all participated in a seance and then and then stuff, all that stuff started happening stuff started yeah. getting moved around yeah i would absolutely immediately think it was my sister and then finding out that it like wasn't her would be terrifying absolutely Especially also the knocking. I'm like, I'm assuming that the sisters were together a lot of the times when the knocking was happening. So that would be super unexplained. Yeah. So surely this couldn't be the spirit of their beloved mother, but rather a demon. Menacing poltergeist. Yes. So they're pretty nervous about what kind of gates they opened. You know, also I've heard, again, I haven't been witness to ghosty kind of stuff, but I've heard that like, evil spirits will come in the form of something that you want or like like a like an animal that you love or like a spirit that you're trying to contact so that it can like get into your life. Yeah, there's like element of temptation and that's kind of common and I think the lore of of demons yeah. they're always trying they're to They're tricksters. Right. They're and that's tricksters. part of trick or treating too. Right. That, yeah. Yeah, the spirits are tricky. Right. Yeah. yeah. Finally, the girls decided to tell their father, which I can only imagine my dad would be so fucking pissed if, like, I had a seance. Well, I don't think my dad would be mad, but if it was, like, keeping me up at night, you know? So they had to tell their father about the haunting sounds and have to admit that they were actually trying to contact their dead mother. Right off the bat, the father didn't believe them, and this is partially because he was never actually present when any of the noises and occurrences were happening, Brian Andrews, the father, believed that this was the girl's way of trying to prank him or get them to notice them in the wake of their mother's death. Because remember, he was working a lot. He was a bus driver, and I think that he was a city bus driver, so he worked all hours. And he was just never around when any of the strange shit was happening. I think especially he was working nights, and they were at school during the day. Yeah, so they just never saw their dad. Right. Yeah. And again... The timeline gets sometimes skewed from different sources, but I'm going with the majority of the sources on this. It was January 1987. Annie and Jessica once again heard the tapping when they were in the front room, but to their horror, it was not coming from the walls, but rather from the basement where they had done the seance. So they were hearing a knocking sound 
which again, they were guessing probably wasn't the spirit of their late mother because, yeah, at that point, exactly. At that point, you're like, uh, my mother loved me. Yeah, she wouldn't do, she wouldn't haunt me like this. So terrified, the girls grabbed a kitchen knife and crept to the basement. They peeked around the corner and to their horror, written in blood on the wall was, I'm in your room, come and find me. Fuck that. Fuck that, exactly. Also, I'm pretty sure that this ghost did not know how to spell. Because <laughs> I, I think that your was the wrong your. It was like a shortened version of it. Was it was like or, the AIM chat yeah, version. It was like, yeah, you are or something. Yeah. So um, a ghost that is bad at spelling was taunting them, which, you know. But can we take just a second to yeah. like talk about how badass Annie was for grabbing a knife and going... <laughs> Down into the basement when she heard knocking. Like, I would just run out the front door. I mean, okay, so it was like 1987. You can't call your parents. I mean, she... Because there's not like a cell. Yeah. She chose not to call the police, I think, because nobody believed them at that point. I think they were probably like, we're going to prove this shit. I don't know what she was thinking what she was going to do with a knife. I mean, best case scenario, it's like... You stab, you stab somebody, somebody you love. I don't you know, or stab like a stranger in yeah. your basement. Like either way, that's or like, like a cat. That's like another like thirty years of therapy for the PTSD exactly. from some kind of incident like that. So I guess kudos, Annie, for being like a badass and just like but like, also throwing like, caution yeah. to the wind. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously the girls were freaked out, and so once they saw the writing, and they bolted from the house and immediately ran to a neighbor's house to call their father. Brian eventually came home and didn't fucking believe them. Amazing. So frustrating. I mean, if I was it, I don't think I'd want to believe it either, obviously. Um, so police were called to check out the scene, and they found that the blood, the supposed blood on the wall was actually ketchup. I don't know if they ate it or what. <laughs> but, I mean, ketchup smells like vinegar. The I pungency of yeah. ketchup yeah. gave it away. Yeah. So thinking that his daughters had gone too far with the quote-unquote jokes, he admitted them to see a counselor so that they could obviously deal with the emotional trauma that they were experiencing of losing their mother. Which they probably already should have been they, counseling. Exactly. But I guess it's 1987. I, I don't know. Yeah. Parenting was fast and loose. Yeah. <laughs> Like leaving your kids home all night alone. Yeah, you like latchkey like kids, daughters. Yeah. So after a few weeks, things started to return to normal, but the taps and the sounds started again. This time, the words oh, "I'm back, find me if you can" were written in blood in Annie's room. Ugh, we'll put but, blood in quotes. Yeah, blood in quotes. Like, we don't know what it is this time. It's it might be to some look like blood. The ketchup effect, or the effect is the same. Marinara sauce or you know whatever tasty tomato red substance. <laughs> yeah. So on your worst nightmare, they also after they show this scene, they show a picture of that Annie like of herself with a knife stabbed through it on the wall. But I didn't see that anywhere else. So, I mean, I'm not officially saying that, but I'm sure that there was probably some other shit that she saw as well that freaked her out. Yeah, I'm sure they wanted to add drama. Obviously, I mean, not yeah. That, not that you really need it. Yeah, because this, this is fucking terrifying at this point. I mean, if, if you've ever been stalked or even mildly stalked, you know that it's like one of the most terrifying things you can experience. Yeah, absolutely. So again, they ran to a neighbor's house and Brian comes home again. This time, he chi- he decides to go and investigate. When he walks into the house, the TV is blaring. There's two full wine glasses sitting still on the table. 
He walks upstairs. And I, I think at this point, he's like, okay, he this feels them. like yeah. something doesn't feel right. Right. So he walks up the stairs and he sees more writing on the walls. Again, your worst nightmare, actually, it said like marry me on it or yeah, something. I and think I actually heard that or I read or heard that from multiple sources that marry me was yeah. written on the house. Yeah. And it could have also been adding an element. So like when he walks into his, I don't think it's his room, but they just kind of specify just like upstairs. When he walks upstairs, he sees the back of somebody standing there. He sees someone standing there in one of his dead wife's dresses. Now, some sources say it's her wedding dress and most sources say it's a dress. And then you even heard a source that was like, it wasn't a dress at all, but he was like, Dressed up like in, a Native American? Yeah, he was in Native American garb with uh, face paint. Um, but also the the sources that say that he was He was like hiding dress, in a closet. He was wearing her makeup. Yeah. Like, so there's definitely, like, he was obviously wearing some kind of makeup. There was a, definitely an intruder in the home wearing something of the family's. Holding a hatchet. And all, all the sources agree it was either a hatchet or a small axe. So regardless, there's a fucking dude wearing either a dress or some kind of costume with face paint, like like kind of war-style face paint, and he's holding a fucking weapon, you know, like an, a hatchet or an axe, and he charges after Brian. This man so, came into his home and literally found himself in a slasher movie. Yes. So at this point, the person in the dress either binds up the family and one of the girls is able to get free and, you know, un- undo the rest of the family, or... They just get away from him. But there's multiple sources say multiple things. But basically, he kind of disappears at this point. And so the police are called and they come into the house to investigate. So the police looked all over the house and one officer found something weird behind the washing machine. It's also been listed as the dryer. It's also been listed in the spot underneath the stairs. So again... They find like some kind of secret passageway of some um, some type. So it's either in the basement or it's under the staircase. Yeah, yeah. So they find something and either whether it's a hole or like one of those like kind of utility doors for like the dryer or like, you know, like a vent or something or like storage. Regardless, there's a hole in the wall of some type and inside of it, a, there is crouched in the corner is a creepy little 16-year-old boy with face paint on looking at the officers, which, again, fucking terrifying. You know, as an officer, as anybody, like, already 16-year-old boys freak me out. So, like, wearing face paint, crouching in a corner, knowing that... And he was maybe even wearing the dress still at this point, you know? we're going to assume he smelled really bad. Yes, and that's something we'll talk about later. But after the police were able to coax him out, they found beer cans, um, a sleeping bag, personal effects, and food wrappers all over the place. Apparently, this kid had been living there for months undetected by the family. So you might be asking, who is this creepy little perv? Well, let me introduce the little shit turd, Danny LaPlante. So Danny was born on May 16th, 1970 in Middlesex County, Massachusetts. He had a mother and a stepdad, and by a lot of accounts, his stepdad was sexually, definitely sexually, well, definitely physically, maybe sexually abusive towards him. Yeah. And his mother was very neglectful. They had a lot of stray animals in the house, and they were hoarders. They had a lot of junk. It's got to take a toll. 
Mentally. Mentally, (laughs) yeah, emotionally growing up like that. I mean, obviously it takes a toll being physically abused, but even just living in a house with a hoarder house. Yeah, totally. Has to be a really difficult experience. So on top of all of that, Danny or Daniel LaPlante, he struggled in school. He was dyslexic. He had no friends and was considered a loser. His hygiene also contributed to that. Maybe it was because of his living situation. He might have not even been able to get to the shower. Or it may have just been his own, like, laziness, too. Can't always take that out of account. But he also was really fucking weird on top of that. Like, he liked being a weird kid. I think he was diagnosed with having, like, ADHD or ADD Mm -hmm. as well. Or dyslexia. He was definitely um, diagnosed with dyslexia. But I don't know if he was officially diagnosed. Like, he did start seeing a psychiatrist, and I think it was referred by, like, a school counselor or somebody. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, when he started to see a psychiatrist, he started being sexually abused by a mental health worker. I don't know if it was his psychiatrist or what. There was definitely somebody within the health field that was abusing him. And it was noted that he was a very scary and strange child. He really delighted in breaking into people's homes, most of the time just to fuck with them. Like, he would move around stuff and not actually take anything. But sometimes he would just take, like, inconsequential things. But most of the time it was mostly to just mess with people. Yeah, so it was, uh, today he would probably be spending most of his time on Reddit, but because it was in 1987, <laughs> yeah. he was breaking into people's houses. And He'd be really into 4chan, yeah. Moving their silverware and changing, like, unscrewing their light bulbs yeah. and things like that. At 16 years old, he somehow, I couldn't figure out, but he had obtained the phone number of Annie, our girl that was having the seance at the beginning there, who at the time was 15 years old. He knew a lot about her before he got her number. He knew that she was in a vulnerable position and had recently lost her mother. And there might be an explanation as to he may have been, uh, it may have been one of the houses that he had broken into. There isn't a ton of information to support that or deny it, really. I think but, only really he knows. Yeah. And, and he's not talking, at least about that. So regardless, he called her and they struck up a quote unquote phone friendship. And he told her that he went to a nearby high school and was captain of the football team. Yes. And he was like really tall and good looking. Super blonde. And yes. Super buff. And like, so she was like, oh, hell yeah. A super good looking football player that wants to talk to me on the phone and maybe be my boyfriend for sure. Yeah. Right. And I know it sounds weird, but I think at that point in time, the chat lines yeah. were super popular. Yeah. I mean, I was playing girl talk. You I mean, meet people on the phone. I mean, even I remember like at a young like, I got your number from a friend. Yeah, but yeah. even then you'd have like party lines and stuff. Like you would oh, call, yeah. you'd call like a phone number. There would be like an automated message. Like you could join the party line. Really? And, yeah. I never did that. It was like a local, like kind of like, well, of course it's local because you wouldn't want to call long distance. Especially <laughs> yeah. if you're, bubbles. when your parents don't know what you're up to. Um, uh-huh. So you would just call and you would be connected and there would be like maybe several of it. I think it was like maybe a choice. I don't know. I'm still. This I was, is so weird. I was born in 1985. So. So I was like on the, you know, late tail end of it, tail end of this. But yeah, you would, the party lines were very popular in the eighties and that's how you would meet people without like having to go out. You would just like, so weird. it would be like, yeah, you could talk to local. Like, yeah, like hot boys hot on the boys, phone. Yeah, cheese and, it, and, <laughs> and not like through a 900 number that cost a bunch. Oh, I said cheese me. I meant theater me. 
Oh, okay. You would talk to Firme Vatos on the phone from the <laughs> valley. <laughs> and that was, yeah, it was like, if you didn't have anything to like, do. Like, this was commonplace. So it wasn't, like, weird that she got this phone call. I would, I would venture to say it was not super weird. I mean, it would probably be weird to get that phone call directly, but I would say it wouldn't be weird to meet somebody on the phone like that. Okay, gotcha. And I'm sure he probably said, you know, I saw you at the mall and, like, my friend knew you or whatever. He, I'm sure he I gave did, her a yeah. line. I yeah. heard something that said, like, oh, yeah, I know, like, he said something like he Mutual knew one of her friends. Or something. And he was like, she was really cute. I saw her at a football game, like, our different schools. Oh, gotcha. Um, and I asked for her number, which still is kind of sketchy. But Oh, yeah, totally. It's super vague. In time where your mom's just passed away and the And you just want the, con- yeah, yeah. the, the, the human-to-human contact. Yeah. The transition was obviously super difficult for them. So they kept talking for like weeks at this point, and he eventually did ask her out on a date to which Annie agreed, and they would agree that it was an ice cream date, which I definitely went on as a kid. And she was disappointed in the way he looked when he came to the house because she was expecting this like six foot tall, blonde, buff football guy, and Daniel Plant is anything but that. Yeah, I mean, well, she was... Expecting him to be how he described. Exactly. He was nothing like how he described. He was the original catfish as pretty much everyone has described him. Yes. And what is so crazy to me is that if if that's the dude that fucking answered the door, you know what I mean? Or like was at my door, I would fucking close it right in his face. Because like if he's going to fucking lie about the way he looks, what the fuck else out is he lying about? You know what I mean? about like... Do you think the outcome for her would have been any better if she had no, shut the door in, no, in his face? It no. might have even been worse. I'm yeah. I, this is something I've thought but about. It's, but it's crazy to think that she went. I right. would not have gone. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, sometimes like as a woman, yeah, I think polite. in general, you first of all, yeah, you want to be polite. And second of all, you get a little bit intimidated. Yeah. By rejecting guys. Yeah, because you feel bad, guilty, whatever. You you know, might get called a bitch or a slut right. if you don't do what they you might want. get called a fat whore. <laughs> yeah you were I didn't um, even want to date you anyways you're such an ugly bitch so yeah yeah like after you reject them then they're like yeah you're ugly you're like wait but I rejected you okay yeah but I was only gonna screw you one time <laughs> <laughs> but so weirdly she did agree to go out with him and I think that they went out for like a couple of hours and like walked around and ate some fucking ice cream which hopefully he paid but things got super weird weird on the date and he took uh, a very morbid unusual interest um some would say a fascination with her late mother's death like he would ask her things like he asked her like how did you feel at the moment of your mother's death like yeah did your mother suffer as she died she obviously at that point was was like, like fuck this guy what the fuck is going on who who would ever even ask that question in general but mm-hmm. this guy's like a random, weird, gross scumbag. Who Shit. obviously lied to me and now he's obsessed with my late mother. At that point, you might be even wondering, how did he get my phone number? Yeah. <sighs> so she started vibing out really hard and she cut the date short and he tried to call her later and she didn't answer. I she just he, started avoiding him like I think crazy. He called her multiple times. Yeah. And she like... What I would do, what I would have my dad do when I used to live, you know, obviously with a landline and stuff, I want to date with a guy that creeped the fuck out of me. 
And I just kept telling my dad to tell like that I'm not home and or like she's she doesn't want to talk to you. So I just like that that it was like fairly commonplace back in the day too with landlines. Yeah, is getting like your mom or dad or something to be like tell him I'm not home. You know. Yeah. No, I had a guy who like psycho dialed me after I stopped talking to him. He got super creepy, and it turned out later, um, this was a guy that I went to high school with, and he actually I had met him through like mutual friends in the neighborhood. Um, but it turned out later they found, like, materials for making bombs in his Ooh. basement. And I think he was arrested at that point. But I had, he was calling me. And then when I, like, stopped answering his calls, he would call, like, every hour at least. Ugh. For, I think, like, weeks, he called my house relentlessly. And my dad wasn't around. And my mom was, a, you know, she's a single mom, so she was full-time um, yeah. At the salon in the mall. <laughs> yeah. Working super weird hours because they closed at 10. So he would just relentlessly be able to call and I can do anything about it until yeah. he just gave up. It's like the beginning of Scream. Yeah. Yeah. But just like, I don't want to fucking answer. Like, but what like, would he yeah. have even said if I picked up the phone? Like, what's your favorite I movie? I shudder to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so exactly. Remember, dad worked the long hours as a bus driver, so she was alone a lot, probably with a fucking ringing phone that was terrifying the fuck out of her. So luckily, the phone calls stopped. But as you remember, this is where we're kind of picking up at. He started fucking living in their walls. Yeah. So yeah. he like broke into their motherfucking house and was just like living in the walls and terrorizing these girls for being fucking rejected, there basically. Are, there are, after he lied. <laughs> yeah, after he totally probably spied on her before he even called her in the first place. And there are accounts that he had peepholes all over the house Ugh. so he could watch Oh, them. yeah, and he could hear, he'd see the dad through the vent yeah. entering. Like, so that's why the dad was never around. He, he was clearly, the, like, gnarliest gaslighting ghost yep. ever. Yeah. He clearly memorized the dad's schedule. He obviously... I mean, some accounts say he had, like, tunnels in the walls, which is just like, ugh, Like... Yeah. Can you imagine? But all sources agree that he was there for at least two months, which yep. is fucking insane. Yeah. And, and it's hard to say, like, if he was actually living there or if he was coming and going. Yeah. Um, because also, yeah, like, he's 16, so, like, is his mom not noticing that he's fucking gone? Well, obviously, he had shit parents. Yeah, and, you know, the thing, like, a lot of people, I've heard them, like, debate this, like, where, why did his mom not notice that he was gone? Well, his mom didn't notice that he was breaking into houses and, like, acquiring Didn't things. notice or didn't care. Right, so, like, there was a lot of stuff he was doing that was going unnoticed, so I really don't think it's really that hard to believe that... Yeah. She didn't notice or didn't care that he wasn't coming home at night, at least sometimes. Yeah. And I think back then, probably, you know, parents would have assumed, like, oh, he's staying over at, at some of Tommy's house. house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're probably thinking, okay, 16 years old, breaking in. I mean, like, he's going to probably have to do something fairly serious, right? Like, in terms of like punishment. Um, but because Daniel was a minor, and no physical harm was done. He only received three years in a youth detention facility. And this gets confusing because he was also potentially in jail and or kind of uh, like at least momentarily and was bond. He, he was offered bond or bail or something. Um, I heard many, many accounts that he was bonded out. For, by his mom for $10,000. Which is crazy because it's like his mom's not going to notice that he's gone out of the house and she's like the super shit mom, but she'll like fork over a bunch of cash to get him out, you know? 
Like, I yeah, mean, whatever. That, I, I also was like, how did... How, how was I, she able to pay that? Yeah. How was she able to pay that? And, like, why did she bother? Yeah, obviously she didn't give a fuck about her kid. Right. I don't know. I mean... It, it's, it's a weird <laughs> part of the story. Like, I obviously don't want to talk too much shit... Because I don't know her and stuff, but again, doesn't seem like the best mom. <laughs> and also, like you, I mean, after you found out that your kid was living in someone's house and terrorizing their yeah, I'm gonna let him out now. Right? Yeah, yeah. You should know that your kid is a menace to society. It's just like, is that like the last thing she decided to do for her son? Just like As because a, she the one up. favor. Yeah, yeah she yeah. fucked up so many times. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So, like I said, he was bonded out by his mother less than a year later in October of 1987. So, again, if we go back, that's like nine months that yeah. he is in custody of some kind. Nine to ten. And he is basically 17 years old at this point. And then only two months later, he would do something far worse than just living in people's walls. <clears throat> in the late afternoon of December 1st, 1987... Andy Gustafson closed a big real estate deal and phoned his wife Priscilla, who was 33 at the time, to see if she could find a sitter so they could go out to dinner and celebrate. No one answered the phone, so Andy drove the mile home to his isolated home in the woods. He saw Priscilla's car in the driveway, but the house was completely dark. He went inside and found his pregnant wife dead in their bedroom. She had been sexually assaulted and shot twice in the head through a pillow to muffle the gunshots. Too afraid to look for the kids, he called the police. When the police arrived, they found his seven-year-old daughter, Abigail, and five-year-old son, William, dead. They had been drowned in separate bathtubs in the house. Fuck. The court documents state, the police found William's body face down in the tub in the upstairs bathroom. The police discovered Abigail's body face down in the tub in the downstairs bathroom. The cause of death of both children was drowning. Additionally, Abigail suffered blunt trauma to the head and compression of the neck. And then one thing, I mean, we'll, we'll eventually get there, but they were noticing that Abigail's time of death was dramatically later than the mother and the sons. And that is like super weird. We can talk about that when we talk about who is the perpetrator of this. But I mean, no, it's no surprise that fucking Danny LaPlante is going to be our first suspect. Right. At the scene of the crime, police found a beer poured into a glass, but it hadn't been drunk. It reminded the officers of a previous crime scene, the Andrews family. Immediately, Danny LaPlante came to mind. He lived less than a mile away. When they went to question him, he was eating a piece of pie. <laughs> yeah. But when he saw the police, he bolted. After a multi-day manhunt, he was found in a lumberyard dumpster 10 miles away where he belonged. Yeah. <laughs> in the fucking dumpster. Ten miles away from his home, he was taken into custody, charged, tried, and sentenced. He currently must serve three consecutive prison terms of 15 years before he's eligible for parole in 2032, at which time he will be 62 years old. So one thing that I wanted to just point out about Abigail, which is really incredibly sad, is that I believe that he actually attacked the mother and the son like in the morning, like at 10 a.m. or something. And then he actually fucking waited for Abby or Abigail to come home at like 3.30. He, like, I, I'm not saying I understand. Like, if he raped and killed the mother, like, like whatever, he's a sick fuck, right? Right. I, I'm not saying I'm at all, like, understanding of the crime at all. But I could understand why he killed the son because the son was a witness. 
But why the fuck would you wait around for like five hours for somebody else to come home? He's Is a it sick fuck? Yeah, he he just wanted to kill an entire family. Right. I mean, obviously that's why he did it in the first place. Yeah. Um, he may have even known that the wife was pregnant. Yeah. At the time. They said several months, so it's hard to say if she was showing even. But yeah, there's a really good chance that he did fucking know and he well, got I mean, even more of a thrill out of it. They're they're like kind of neighbors. He was known for yeah. breaking into houses all over the place. He possibly could have broken into their house at some and, point. And time. knew, yeah, absolutely. Um I heard on another I think I heard on True Crime all the time that he stole their nameplate off of their house. So mm-hmm. like the Gustafson's oh, nameplate on the house yeah, yeah. as a trophy. So he oh, was fuck. obviously like there was a, there were a lot of psychological elements to his crimes. He was definitely big into taking trophies. We kind of like didn't really mention it, but as soon as he had this was a couple months after, but as soon as he had gotten out the juvenile detention center he went straight back to robin houses that's where yeah. he actually ended up getting the gun that he used in this murder yeah he had stolen oh, he stole it from another yeah. house oh wow. he had stolen a few guns i heard that he had um left one in his laundry hamper and his stepdad found it and was Shit. like oh you can't have this and just like got rid of it hmm. but then he still had the other gun i think i also heard in true crime all the time that he had like illegally purchased the bullets for the gun that's right yeah yeah from a friend or from yeah from a friend or from like a local sketchy dude (laughs) a local sketchy dude the local sketchy dude yeah yes and that ended up coming up in the trial and i think the 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 guy didn't want to really admit that he had sold him the the bullets because it would have been yeah he was a minor i mean it would have been illegal to sell the bullets to him so daniel laplante all around total fucked up piece of shit. He immediately got back right back to committing crimes as soon as he got out. It obviously is pretty clear. He was he was like what's the word for when you're put in your mother's your parents care off off of out when you get out of um oh custodial he was like relinquished to his oh, mother when yeah. he got out of the juvenile detention center but I don't think she was... Obviously, she doesn't give a fuck. She didn't care what he was doing. Yeah. Um, she wasn't keeping tabs on him. Mm-mm. And he immediately went back to the same exact behavior. A year before the triple murder, LaPlante was telling others that he worships Satan, according to the psychiatrist. Blame it on Satan. Always fucking blame it on Satan. You Always know, blame it on do? the Dark Lord. <laughs> he made me do it. He was saying, I don't care if I kill. And he ended up killing people, his psychiatrist said. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Yeah, duh. <laughs> I know, I was surprised that he wasn't diagnosed with more, but this is the only official diagnosis I could find, which I, it's a pretty serious one. In 2017, him and his lawyers appealed to the Middlesex Superior Court for a reduced sentence. The primary question is, is 45 years too much to serve for a juvenile homicidal defendant? No. <laughs> Before. Or yes. Wait. No. No. 45 years is not too enough. much. Okay. It's yeah, not yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. If he only lived for 45 years after that, then I would say yes. But, but he was 17. He was 17. So he is still, you know. He could get out at 62. That's yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, I know some 62 year olds who are pretty spry. So is 45 years too much to serve for a juvenile homicidal defendant before you're pushing up against the functional equivalent of a life without parole bar? Asked Merritt Schnipper, LaPlante's attorney. <laughs> Should I reread that? No, I think it's funny. 
<laughs> schnipper. Is that how you say it? Yeah, schnipper. Also a part of the peel was an apology letter. Which I knew you wanted to read, so. Oh, yeah, I'm, like, super into reading Daniel LaPlante's very genuine apology letter. That his lawyers totally did not write or tell him exactly what to write. Yeah, this is, like, from the Apology Letter 101 or Apology Letter for, for Dummies. Idiots. yeah, yeah. Handbook. Words cannot fully capture what I have done. I murdered three innocent people. Because of me, a five-year-old boy will never turn six. There's a seven-year-old girl that will never turn eight. Well, the math is right yeah, on that. Yeah, I mean, he knows how to count. Yeah. Because of me, a woman will never be able to give birth to her third child. Ugh. I robbed an unborn child of his first breath. A husband was never able again to hear from his family, I love you. I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. Despite his remorseful plea to the court, psychiatrists insisted he was a man with no evidence of emotion, no feelings. His application was denied. Fuck yeah. And his request for early parole eligibility was again denied in 2019. And I don't think he has any more appeals at this point. He's um, done them all. Oh, yeah. No one, including the judge, believes that Daniel is remorseful and will surely kill again if given the opportunity. That's the last known account in the news we have of Daniel LaPlante, and hopefully the last we'll hear of him in quite a while. He is up for his first official parole hearing in 2032, to which we all hope he is denied. Yeah. For sure. So, thoughts, feelings, opinions, beliefs, judgments, criticisms? Oh, I know we already discussed the fact that Daniel Plant is like the original incel. Oh, yeah. We do end up talking about a lot of dumpster incels on this show. But, yeah, he is kind of... I wonder if he's like revered on those incel like um, <laughs> websites. I wouldn't on be surprised. The website, on the web, the incel dark web. <sighs> I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe he is. I I can't help but have like sympathy for what happened to him as a child. Yeah. No one should have to go through that. Absolutely. It's just disgusting what happened to him. But you don't have to, just like your chickens. No, it's a ch- <laughs> <laughs> Just because creature. Just because you're a victim doesn't mean you need to become the perpetrator later on to like yeah. get back. You know. Should we elaborate on the chickens story? Yeah, do you want to talk about your chickens real I quick? I got uh, two new chickens. They're they're not babies, but they're not adults. They're and awkward teenagers. They're awkward teenage stage chickens. And when I bought them from the guy who I bought them from, he, uh, he had a bunch of different chickens. And I was like, I just want two that are super calm and nice because... My other chickens were like victims of bullying when <laughs> when I introduced them to the first flock that I had. They were just like super mean and got pecked and they didn't defend themselves at all. So I I don't want like any aggressive ones. And he was like, okay, you should um, take these ones. And so I brought them home and they are super sweet. And it turns out that my tiniest chicken is like a total fucking bitch so the victim becomes the bully the victim became the bully she goes after you know them. what you should name her daniel plant oh she deserves that no she doesn't deserve that name yeah. she's not that bad but it's just an, an, there's like chicken blood on the wall it's like <laughs> i know where you are megan yeah. 
She is probably pretty upset with me at this point because I have been squirting her with a super soaker every time she misbehaves. <laughs> if only Danny LaPlante's mom had done that. Yeah. You know what? Super soakers were around in the 80s, I think, Mrs. Mm-hmm. LaPlante. So you don't have an excuse. And honestly, Daniel LaPlante, you don't have an excuse either because we all make our own choices in this life. Yeah. None of us he, have it easy. He obviously got a thrill out of it. Like, that's his whatever, like... Control wh- problems. Yeah. Issues with... I really, truly wish that he had gotten the help he needed, and obviously he didn't. Right. But again, doesn't excuse, like, murdering an entire family. Right. Or stalking two innocent girls and ruining their lives for at least a while. Yeah, you and know? you know what? You can be fucked up without fucking others up. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. So that's the official word we're going to end on here at The Dumpster. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Dumpster. Uh, we have a website truecrimedumpster.com you can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com we're on all of the platforms we would love for you guys to rate review and subscribe just like we ask you to do each week when you do that it does get our podcast out to a larger audience but thank you so much megan for being here thank you for having me thank you creature okay geez. okay Yes. He has sundown Alzheimer's. <laughs> the sun is going down. I know, it's getting dark, the so claws that's why. Are coming out. Yeah. Well, this is our spooky end. Here, right in the microphone. In the microphone. <laughs> know how much of that i'm gonna keep yeah um so anyways from uh the crew here at the dumpster oh my gosh all of us at the pack here at the dumpster yeah we're in the dog pound right now <laughs> oh my gosh we hope we see you <laughs> we hope you see you next week where we keep talking out the trash oh my god bye